Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm Roger Woodall, founder of the Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. With all events in 2020 grinding to a halt, I'll be bringing people back together, but in a different way. This week, I'm talking to my good mate and World Cup winner, Lewis Moody. Lewis is one of the nicest people off the field, but on the pitch was an absolute lunatic and he'd put his head in places people wouldn't even dream of. Lewis has won seven Premiership titles, two European Cups, played in two World Cup finals and winning the big one against Australia in 2003. He opens up a lot about stuff he's never ever spoken about before on this episode. Here's the man himself, Mr. Lewis Moody, MBE. Lou, yeah. tell me how you got signed for Leicester Tigers. So you didn't really get, well, you did get signed. Obviously, there were contracts that came in when the professional era came around. But as a kid, I grew up in Oakham, Leicestershire, on the border of Lincoln as well. Um, and when I was at school, so I had a couple of a couple of teachers, uh, Andy Wilson and Brian Welford, um, who were sort of pivotal to my enjoyment, engagement in the, in the game and my sort of development as a young man. But when I got to the first team, uh, a chap that I, I know you know well, uh, Ian Dosser Smith, became the first Legend. top man, right? Top man played for Leicester Tigers for yeah. you know fifteen, sixteen, or oh, twenty years. He's still there now. He was he was the academy manager last year. I'm not sure if he still is this year, but he, he just epitomised what I love about the game. He was you know really straight talking, really simple, quietly spoken, passionate. Yeah. Um, you know, he he sort of instilled a real loyalty and protective nature about the team you know it's about looking after your mates and and I would say those were two of my sort of strongest characteristics as an individual anyway so loyalty's definitely protective mm. um being an only child as well that might sound strange but just the, the team became my sort of family when I was younger cut a long story short when I when I when I left school or well, the year I was leaving school uh Dossa Ian Smith said look mate you know you've been at Tigers now I, so I joined like when I was 14 just the youth team and you know as, as you did went through the 21s uh Colts development I sort of went from the youth team to the Colts played two games in the Colts and then was was straight upon leaving school into the first team so in the summer of leaving school Dossa said mate go down train with uh with the first team and see how you get on and 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 that was pretty much it so I got at the age of 18 and and and, and that was it I was absolutely terrified you know I was a pretty shy public school boy you know was surrounded by a lot of non-public school boys yeah. and and also my like idols and heroes you know like John Owen, Neil Back, Rory Underwood, John Wells you know, Roundtree, Dino, Dino, yeah, all these guys that are growing up idolizing. All of a sudden, you're, you're, I'm in there training with them. I'm like, what the, what the, what the fuck? What am mm. I doing here? Mm. I felt out of place, but I'm a competitive dude. So as mm. soon as I was in the training, I was, I was fine. But the socialising bit, I, I really struggled with for the first few mm. years. I didn't necessarily feel like I, 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 I fitted particularly well. So you made you 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 made your first appearance at the age of 18 for mm. Leicester Tigers. Mm. That's just unbelievable in the back row. Yeah, mate, I was a skinny, skinny kid as well, right? I was like 13 stone. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, so man, that was cool. First game, I remember getting picked. So um, good friend of ours, Leon Lloyd, you know, we sort of grew up through the Tigers together. Um, he he missed pre-season for some reason. I'm not sure, you know, he was a, he, he was loose as a, as a younger man, wasn't he? So he's probably mm. off on holiday in Ibiza or mm. something or, or partying <laughs> somewhere. I can't remember. He, he has told me why, but I've forgotten, so... Apologies, Leon, if I, if I did you a disservice there. But um, I ended up getting my first game that summer. I think it was um, late August. So, you know, weeks after having joined pre-season. So this is 1996. 90, summer of 96. So wow. I get my first game at Welford Road with John Wells in the back row. You know, all these absolute legends. Rory Underwood, you know, England's great, yeah. high, highest ever try scorer. Still, he still is. It's amazing. Yeah. And I just remember absolutely bricking myself, being in the changing rooms, under the stand, Dossa was the first team coach then, as well as you know, coaching me at school. The transition helped me anyway wow. because he was in the change room beforehand. I was shitting myself as an eighteen-year-old public school boy. Only months earlier had I been sat in the stands in the crumby stand at Welford Road, you know, 
chanting the various nicknames of, of all the players. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be running out on the pitch with them. And I was like, oh my God, this is just, I was just my heart beating, like yeah. literally felt like I was going to come out of my chest. And Dossa like just took me off to a corner man, and just said, look, yeah, I know you're nervous. It's good if, you know, your, your heart will be pounding out your chest. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. He's like, don't worry about that. Just use it. Just harness the energy. You only need to think about three things. I was like, okay. And uh, you know what, Dossie, he was, he was a straight talking yeah, man, right? Yeah. He'd tell you how it was. And he was always, he had a really, he spoke really quietly. There's noise and hubbub everywhere else. And he would speak quietly where he delivered a message because you had to listen then. Mm -hmm. right? So everything had to. But anyway, so he was just like, three things, mate. Tackle, tackle, tackle. Is that what you say? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> that, that's, they're all the same, Doss. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I know. That's all you need to remember, mate. It's like, that was it. That's what you're good at, mate. You just stick to that. I, you know, it was really helpful because it just, you know, I, I learned during the uh, during the latter stages of my career, actually having a singular focus on one element of the game rather than worrying about everything yeah. made it much easier. And uh, and having him there in that in that first moment was cool. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's special, special days, right? Amazing. So that's 96, 97, you and I met at Leicester Tigers. Mm -hmm. And then two years on later, you won the premiership title with Leicester Tigers. How was that feeling? Yeah, I t you just don't think about it at the time, mate. It's, um, you know, it was it was an amazing journey. Obviously, there were a lot of young lads that started coming through, Jordan Murphy, Paul Gustard, Adam Boarding, um, you know, to, to name a few. And and all of a sudden, you know, I went from feeling like I was, me, myself and Leon were sort of the, the few youngsters in that squad mm. um, and feeling quite out of place and, you know, that, socially and, and outside of the playing field I, I didn't I couldn't find my my fit I didn't see where I connected gradually more and more younger guys started coming in and you, and you start getting more and more comfortable and you had people like Pat Howard came in from Australia who bring a different approach right you had Joel, Joel Stransky and Fritz van Heerden from South Africa Sarli Sarevi from wow. Fiji and Marika Vunabaka yeah. is enormous mate who was a scary <laughs> mother wasn't it yeah he was it's like you play touch with him and he's chasing you yeah. down the backfield you're like just go, you have the ball you have it so those five years so 99 those five years 99 2000 2001 2002 you won back-to-back -back premiership titles and in 2001 and 2002 you won two european cups mm. and in 2003 you've got a, you you won the world cup with england mm. all in a five-year Mm. period do you ever look back and think wow that was some achievement or were you just on a mission back then to just achieve more and more or were you actually realizing how amazing that feeling was to be in probably the best english team there ever has been yeah. again at the time it's it's difficult to appreciate because it is what it is it's it's what you become accustomed to right is the norm at the time like using an iphone is the norm now you go back you know 10 years you know you're on a you're playing snake on mm. the you know whatever but um we just, we just, I just landed in a Tigers in England team that had so many hardworking, talented, true to the word competitors, warriors that would push themselves in every every way in training. The fights at Leicester were, you know, notorious around the rest of the country. You know, in touch, we we'd end up, you know, battering the hell out of each other because you know there was so much competition for place mm. and people. No one wanted to take a backward step. Yeah. You know, winning. You know, there's in the game now. Obviously, in the professional game, winning is everything, right? But in the in the build up to that, de development is everything. But so it's it's a real transition when you suddenly get to that level. You realise, okay, it's all about winning. And and what is winning for me? Okay, winning for me is is playing and holding my place in that first team. So how do I do that? I have to prove to the opposition every single day that I'm on the training field or in the gym or whatever that I deserve that place. Mm. And there's not only me who I felt, you know, is a, is a real competitor. There was 20, 30, 40 other blokes around me that were exactly the same. And if they weren't like that, then they just wouldn't last. They would disappear. Um, and, and that's what drove our culture. And that's what gave us the opportunities that we did on the playing field. We weren't always the most talented individuals, you know, not by a long way. So there were some sides that, you know, Bath in particular and Quens that had just crazy talent, Wasps. But we just were able to harness a sort of raw mm. physicality and brutality that the other teams didn't understand. When you talk about the sessions that we had, and when I look back now and we did a, you know, a two hour, two and a half hour defense session on a Wednesday morning where you got... You know the the A team and the B Smashing team, each other. literally trying to kill I remember, each other. Just have the fear, but it was great. I, I know it's one of the things I fucking miss more than anything is oh. like the physical, the brutality of it. I like because you can't like in normal life, right? I'm retired, what nine years? You can't, 
you can't just sort of wander around the supermarket smashing people through the fruit and veg stand, can you? <laughs> like, or if I if I get annoyed with you, okay, maybe I could with you, I could smack you in the face, but I, I wouldn't generally. But you know, that sort of tussle, that that where it's okay to let out that physical emotion, yeah. the frustration. You know, for me as a youngster, you know, whether that was coming through school feeling, you know, feeling out of place, you know, bullied for not being that intelligent, or you know, rugby was my outlet. You yeah. know, it was the place where I felt I gained respect. But anyway, coming back to your question, those years were were special you know it was we actually I remember from 2001 probably to 2000 or well, the end of beginning of 2004 every time you took the field you never felt like you'd lose I mean we could have been down by 30 points in a game well, like as we were against Australia in 2002 um, playing at Twickenham and we had no doubt that we'd come back and win that game equally you know if, if we were playing New Zealand and and we were just ahead or we were just behind we knew we had the confidence yeah. that we would come it was just it was incredible and it's only when that feeling disappears and yeah. in 2004 and Clive Clive retires or res, resigns I can't remember how that transpired but Dean Richards leaves Leicester yeah. and everything changes you suddenly you suddenly started losing games You're like what the, yeah what the hell's going on like yeah. this is weird I hate this feeling I hate it. You you became aware of actually how difficult it is, you know, okay, to maintain a winning run, to keep building that confidence and focus and making the little changes and and all the the little idiosyncrasies along the way that you need to maintain that success is is equally hard. But doing it when you're losing and trying to turn things around, I would say, is even is even harder. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah. So though that window of time in our life I felt so privileged to be a part of I'd you know I, I look back on it now I'd do anything to go back and feel that sort of emotion and and be a part of those training squads again because just the the individuals you know like Neil Back you know who was who I was competing for his place for for many years you know he taught me a lot you've got guys like Martin Johnson who were just the one of the out and out best leaders I've ever yeah. ever come across in my life in every in every respect he set incredible standards um, you know, he never expected of others what he wouldn't do himself. You know, he'd put his hand up if he made a mistake. Mm. If you're watching the video and, and, and he's sort of wincing, you know, whereas a lot of people would sort of stay quiet and hope no one noticed. He'd be like, lads, that's not acceptable. I'm not, you know, that won't happen again. Sorry. So what was it like was in training special. with Jono then? Didn't he uh, give you a, a right hook once? Yeah, well, so I'd been out for a year. I think it was it was after it was after the World Cup, so I'd picked up uh, an injury, a stress factor in the navicular, which I actually got during the World Cup itself in '03. Thankfully, no one picked it up because otherwise, you know, if they picked up, it would have been Gone. on the oh yeah, that was it, I was out. Um, I was able to get through it. It didn't hamper me enough anyway. The week after we won the final, we came back and we had a game against I think it was Bath or Stade Francais, one of the two, and uh, and someone stamped on my foot, uh, and that was it. You know, I was out for a year. Uh, you know the, the the fate, you know luck, whatever you want to mm. call it. If that had happened in the World Cup again, wouldn't have played in the World Cup yeah. final. Wouldn't be sitting here now talking yeah, to you. Yeah. It'd just be another. And you played all seven games in the World Cup, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. What time. was that feeling like being at a World Cup and going into the World Cup final, and then at the end with obviously Johnny getting the drop goal and actually realizing you've actually won the World Cup? Tell me. I think the the most honest moment in a sports person's life is is a time like that when the final whistle goes or when you're on the pitch and you're doing what's you know what's comfortable to you and but you never appreciate the pressure under until the whistle goes and and that that world cup moment in particular so when that final whistle went you see the most honest reactions from players they were just mm -hmm. like school children weren't we we were so excited and we i think you suddenly realized how much pressure we were we were under you know the 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 environment that clive created the you know clive's a i think just a fascinating character because he's to to me he recognized quite quickly what were his strengths and weaknesses and you know, for me, I think he recognised that, okay, yes, he really enjoyed coaching, but maybe he wasn't the best coach mm. out there. So he then went out and got all the best coaches in, right? Good businessman. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So I think, yeah, for me, looking back and reflecting, obviously I didn't think about this at the time, I was just get me, in, <laughs> get me in the team, get yeah. me playing. You're not yeah. picking me, why aren't you picking me? I didn't think about anything else. But, uh, you know, when you reflect, you actually see what he did. So, you know, he just filled all of his maybe, you know, the, the areas where he didn't have expertise, he filled with people that had expertise. So mm. when we got to that, World Cup. Actually, we didn't want for anything. Like we had everything that we could possibly yeah. need. Therefore, it was just down to us to deliver, yeah. and for the coaches to give us the information to deliver. And um, and being a part of that process was was quite terrifying. Like, like as I said, I was a really shy kid. I was, you know, um, I would I would goof around, you know, because that was my way of, you know, feeling accepted. Right, you play the fool like a lot of kids do. And, and and I'd continue to do that even in 98 on my first England tour where I felt I felt so uncomfortable didn't really know anyone I was 19 um, 
Is that um, the tour of hell to the tour of doom yeah tells you how well, how well that went yeah. right <laughs> uh, we lost we lost record scores in every game but yeah. after the first game to new zealand you know i wasn't even in the in the squad i got i'd been ill during the first week and i remember matt paul who was a, a second row at leicester said look whatever you do don't do what i did on my first england tour and get him in the wrong crowd and go boozing everywhere <laughs> so i remembered that and then on the first night I came home early with with uh, Pete Richards Ooh. and uh, Gaza. Gaza yeah, rugby. Well, that was his nickname. It was never a great nickname to pick up, right? But at the time, we had the best intentions. Came back early, wanted to do the right thing. We got back. No one was in the hotel, so we thought, well, do we need to be back out? So we went back out with the lads. Didn't get back into about four in the morning. It all went downhill from there. But after that first test match uh, that we lost, you know, I was just a, a, play, a squad member, so sat in the stands. The lads came in. Oh, we went to a bar afterwards whilst we were waiting for the team to come in. I remember having a few drinks and just being nervous. Started like dancing, uh, dancing around on the table. Next thing you know, I've had a few too many drinks and I'm like stripping off on the table. And then, <laughs> and then the team come in, having just been smashed by the All Blacks and Australia the week before. And they're probably thinking, what is this 19-year-old knobhead doing? <laughs> and uh, well, thankfully, do you know what? That, that tour taught me a lot about myself, like just about what it's going to take to be a professional you know what attitude it takes not just when you're training but off the field and all that sort of stuff so it was a really good lesson for me but in terms of the world cup that journey 03 the environment that clive created was uh you know was um i think at the time he wanted to describe it as a no fear environment he wanted people to be able to speak and and be open and and all those things but i think as a young man i was i was terrified every time i came through the gates at penny hill just you know just the fear of being it, late that was England's training camp that was England's Sorry, training yeah. camp yeah yeah and and I thought you know there's there's multiple reasons for that I imagine it's because you feel pressure you know it's an environment where you're with your heroes again you know you've got the Lawrence Deladios the Matt Dawson's you know guys. was he your hero? well he was an England player yeah. at the time mate. all I ever wanted to do as a kid was play rugby yeah. Will Carling was my first schoolboy hero because yeah. I was a centre you know until I was until I realised that I couldn't catch your pass. Your pass. <laughs> they moved me <laughs> tackle, into the tackle, tackle. Uh, remember what you're good at, mate. <laughs> Stick to your strengths. But um, but so it was it was a it was it was a nerve wracking place, and 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 to never you know to not want to be picked on or singled out and all that sort of stuff. You know that you know the the professional sports environment. There's no time for that, right? Because mm. you've you, we need to improve. So therefore, we need to see where we're going wrong and 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 how we change it. Yeah. and how we build on it and you know there are plenty of times we are called out in meetings for getting things wrong and you have mm. to own up to stuff and and it was uh you know it was a it was a pressurized environment but um but I loved it I did love it I was fearful there are elements of it that I that made me anxious and and, and really nervous just when you're driving down the motorway when you're at home comfortable with your mates in Leicester yeah. driving through the gates of Penny Hill just remembering my like anxiety and nervous levels mm. rising but I suppose it just you know, it helped me focus more. Mm. You know, it's the way I suppose I used it. That's, that's interesting because I remember being with you before you'd go to camps. Yeah. And I'd say, are you looking forward to camp? And you're like, I said, you're looking forward to England England camp? And you're like, no. Why? You're training with England players all day long. Because I'm just not looking forward to it. Why, why was yeah. that at times? There were certain times you absolutely loved it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But why was it that you didn't feel that sort of buzz of, God, I'm going to be training with England? I, do you know what, mate? I, I honestly, I don't think I could put my finger on it other than it was just a, an element of, of fear, I suppose, not wanting to get things wrong, being a, being a young kid in a, you know, this is at the start of my England career, 01 to 03, being a, a young man in a, you know, in a senior, was a lot of senior players in that time, you know, they were known as, in 03, we were known as Dad's Army, yeah, right? Or yeah. Granddad's Army, Granddad's I think they said Army, at one yeah. point. So there's a lot of older senior players. You know, I was lucky in many ways because I had some, Leicester teammates um but yeah I just I found it a difficult I found it a difficult environment sometimes I loved the training I loved the attitude that was taken to training I loved having you know Steve Thompson Joe Worsley uh you know when Leon was Leon Lloyd was in and around that so I loved having mates Mm. but yeah there was there was times for whatever reason I, I found it you know emotionally challenging but you just yeah, I'm sure everyone finds that from time to time with whatever they do. I think when you look at the England team and or Leicester team and everyone thinks, oh, you've all got to be best mates. It must be amazing playing with your best mates. It's like, well, there were plenty of guys in, in those sides that actually I didn't like at all, but I respected because they... Who were they? <laughs> <laughs> I respected because they were, they were prepared to... You know, I, I could see that they had the same attitude 
as me or sometimes a, a better attitude towards their rehab or or the gym and actually that I could learn from um, but it doesn't you know in, in life you don't get on with everyone right there are clashes of personalities and characters that that doesn't mean that that bloke's uh, a dickhead it just means that I don't get on with him therefore you know I, I respect him yeah I yeah. respect him for the player that he is yeah. um, you know there are there are there are certain characters that 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 were like that in the England team or, or at Leicester and you know that's life in, in work you don't get on you know you're not best mates with everyone you have a working relationship and I imagine you employ people because they're they're good at their job you like to think they're also you know uh, nice to be around and, and 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 all that sort of stuff but but sometimes you, you get some yeah. characters that you don't want to be so around So you're, you're the most competitive person I know on a rugby field and you're so different when you're on the field to off the field and your surname obviously with Moody on the field really mm. worked well for you um, and the nickname Mad Dog come about and you'd put your you'd put your head in places people wouldn't even dream of doing but you did that in every single training session and every single game do you think that's had any knock-on effects for you post-rugby? I have to try not to divert and we've done it a few times in this conversation already because when I divert I find it hard to come back to what we were talking about mm. already now whether that's down to the number of times I got smashed in the head or not, I don't know. Or whether that's just part of getting older, right? We're, yeah. in, we're in our forties now. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. one of us is significantly older than the other. Thirty-seven, Dodge, but... thirty-seven, mate. thirty-seven for life. <laughs> but yeah, so mate, I honestly don't know. You know, I, I was a part of some of the the early um, talks around the concussion and and Chris. I think it was Chris Nowinski was the guy that came over from America and started driving the the new concussion protocols and and the fact that there needs to be more done in the game and it was around the CTE that appears in the brain and all the stuff that's happening with American football players. But um, I couldn't say that is the reason that I'm maybe more forgetful now. But mate, I loved playing the game the way I did. People always said to me, why don't you take it easier in training? Why don't you, you know, why don't you take it easier You'd in the game? You would go flat out in training, smashing people. It was unbelievable to watch. Mm. It was literally like, wow, this... Like a machine on the on the, on the training pro- paddock. You're a product of your environment, right? Mm. Like so, you growing up with the with the pubs and stuff. You're 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 immersed with that um, entrepreneurial sort of vibe. I was listening to your podcast earlier, selling tickets off. You know, you're buying tickets off the nightclub next door and then selling them for a profit at the age of ten or eleven. So that was what you grew up and and what became the norm. For me, the norm was you're surrounded by some of the world's best players at your club, and you have to prove in every session that you're worthy of playing at the weekend otherwise you won't be playing you won't be picked and it was as simple as that so it was I was a product of my environment and that's not to say that I didn't absolutely love that and I may well have turned out like that had I been anywhere else like Quinns or something where they took it a lot easier but um but there are times in my in 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 my life now where I look back and think well you know if maybe if I'd been able to be a little bit more controlled in my approach that to wouldn't training. Have been you. That yeah, wouldn't have been yeah. you. You yeah. wouldn't have got the 71 caps. 71 caps for yeah. England mm. and captain in England and taking mm. England to a World Cup. You playing in three World Cups. Mate, I just... It's, cool. it's, it's weird because last night, obviously we were mates for years, but last night I actually went on Google and had a mm. little look and I was actually blown away to how much you've achieved in your career. How do you know what they... You're right. And, and I, I could look at it in two ways and, and I am incredibly proud of... of of the career that that I had equally you know I could have had if I was fit for all the games that I was available for and you know playing well and well enough to be selected I could have had 130 140 caps for England I could have had 400 games for Leicester but the nature of the way that I played meant that that was never going to be the case and also you know luck as well sometimes you you get a lot of injuries and or you just rub the green like Neil back you know the guy that I was competing for for Leicester and England I he probably had two injuries in his entire career that I remember, like operation type injuries that kept him out for a long time. And and he was really good at managing his body and his nutrition. He weighed all his food and all that shit. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't into that at all. But so so you can see the flip side. Um uh, but you know, likewise I look back and think, God, I had fourteen operations, you know one of those operations for some individuals would have stopped them playing. I got back from all those individuals, all the amazing physios like Phil Pask and uh, Dan Lewindern and, and Scott Tindall and, and to name a few and there are many more. Tell me, if you can go from head to toe, can you tell me all the injuries that you have had over the years? So I had 14, 14 major operations. Um, so four shoulder reconstructions at a... At a um, I had a hip microfracture. Um, I had two knee operations. I had a broken ankle, ruptured Achilles, had two plates in my ankle. 
um, stress fracture in the navicula, which actually was the tiniest crack, hairline crack, which happened during the World Cup in 03. Only picked up when we got back. And uh, that kept me out for the longest because they couldn't diagnose it for ages. And every time I came back, it, it still wouldn't go away. And, and a couple of lads that I've met that had it had a worse um, crack or break in that area, had to retire, sort of like 24, 25. So consider myself very lucky. And, you know, the list goes on, broken hand, broken nose, eye socket, cheek, um, concussions, you know, fractures it's everywhere. wild, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, whether it was just me as an individual in that, you know, I never got too bogged down with the injuries. I just saw them as something to overcome. So, okay, so I've got another injury. I've got to get over that so I can get back playing. But it does get draining, mate. Mentally, mentally draining. Like when you sit in the in the weights room and all your mates are outside, you know, someone that you've been competing against for the last five years is now in your. And at Leicester, you you can see them training when you're yeah, in the weights room, can't you? Exactly, out the big glass oh. windows. It's like, I don't I don't know whether that was a psychological ploy, yeah. like, like <laughs> to get want to get you back out as quickly as yeah. possible. But I felt lucky that I never I never thought or worried about the injuries. There was one time in my career that I thought I'd have to call it a day in 2008. So I'd ruptured my Achilles just after the World Cup final in 2007. Okay, so that was going to keep me out for six months. Uh, then during the course of that, I had the hip microfracture that we we're talking about. So okay, that's extending it to sort of like eight, nine months. Can, and during those times, you like you have all the demons about, okay, if I get back at all, will I be good enough? Will I, will I be ready to go back into the side? Will I get back into the Leicester side? You know, will I get back into the England side? Will I have lost my place to the younger guys coming through or the older guy that I was serious drinking? pressure, isn't it? Oh, it's always there and, and you can't and you can't escape it and it's and it's draining and to go into the gym the same day. But you've got to have a good team around you of physios that keep you motivated, right? And and me and Adam Balding used to beat the shit out of each other because we he had another injury, lower body injury. So we just do we do like kneeling boxing and we just batter <laughs> each other just to let some steam <laughs> and off. And he's a lump as well, he isn't is he? He is a lump, it was great fun. <laughs> and then and then Danny Hipkiss came in. This is one of the backs of the center dan played in the world cup final 07 as well he came in for a little session to do a bit of sparring i think yeah. he just fancied the look of it and borders <laughs> borders hit him with the first punch in the kids in the in the in the kidneys like in the ribs and he just went down <laughs> trying to breathe he was like i'm out attack me out attack me. i'm never doing this again but um but yeah so I, I i went through all that sort of mental frustration then came out the other side and and the physios put me in a, in a good spot. The SNC guys got me in really good shape during June. And, and I went straight back into the team, played really well, first three games, couple of men on that performances. And, and John, was then coach of England, called me up and said, mate, you're back in the you're back in the squad, well done. And I was flying, I was so happy. Next day, next day, went out onto the field, playing touch and, uh, and the team were- Competitive touch. Well, yeah, competitive <laughs> touch, but the uh, the team were, were, I just didn't feel the team were focused and I was getting really irritated and Alessandro Tuolangi put like a little grubber kick through. Your mate, Alexander Tuolangi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, so he was on the the opposition that day on the training pitch and, and I just chased back and everyone else sort of gave up. I don't know why, I just chased back and he looked like he was going to kick it through to score. So I just dived on it and, and as I dived on it, he like tripped over me, landed on my ankle, snapped it in two places. <sighs> and so that was, that was, that was, Eight months to that point, I'd been out, just got back, oh. back in the England squad. That that moment, and I was like, "Fuck it!" Nah, um, I went into the change room. I tried to get up, walk. I like, you know, when something's wrong, right? Walked in to, well, got semi carried in and uh, sat down. And the physio's like, "What have you done?" I was just like, I couldn't say. It. I was just like shaking my head. He was like, "Okay, okay, don't worry, don't worry," because he'd been with me for the last like eight nine months. And anyway, it, it was it was what it was. It was a it was a broken ankle, and and the lads were like, "Oh mate!" Like everyone came in, and the support was amazing from your teammates, like Martin Corey, and and I'm sure they were like, "You silly fucker! Why did you dive on that ball and touch?" I was like, "Well, because he was going to fucking score, and we're trying to get ready for the game on Saturday." Uh, you know why? Why wasn't anyone else doing it? And uh, but so that, Alex Tuolangi, nineteen and a half stone, mate. Yeah, straight. What through, a lump! Straight through the straight through the ankle. But here anyway, so I. At the end of that, I called called Danny, called the wife, and said, "Mate, I said I'm done. I'm I'm retiring." That was 2008, oh. and uh, and she was like, "Don't be such a silly fucker. Yeah. You know, you retire now, you'll regret that for the rest of your yeah. life." I'm like, "I can't do it anymore. I can't do, you know, sitting in the gyms, rehab, all that sort of stuff." Yeah. And she was dead right though. Like it was a proverbial slap in the face. You know, yeah. when you're feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. All right, we all go there. Yeah. Sort yourself out. Yeah. Just and yeah. it worked. It was great. And she's been a rock for you. She has been great. Oh, Danny, what a lovely, lovely. What a lovely woman yeah, and, yeah. and a good friend and she's been an absolute rock I've watched watched her support you all the way mm. through the highs lows and pressures you've gone through in your career have been the biggest highs and probably the biggest lows and probably the biggest pressures sportsman, a sportsman could possibly get 
What was the feeling like when you landed back from the World Cup in 2003? How did your life change? Um, well, mate, we went as normal rugby players going out there, right? So prior to that, I always reckon Rory Underwood's mum was still the most well-known yeah, rugby player yeah, in this country. Right. <laughs> so from dancing around on the screens for people that are old enough, whenever Rory scored. But, you know, suddenly we came back from the World Cup in 03, having got to the first major final sporting final. You know, yes, England got there in 91. Rugby was still amateur. Um, you know, first real major sporting final since 66 and England won the football. So all of a sudden we we came back as like... I say we, you know, certain individuals came back as household names yeah. and none of us expected the craziness. Like, it was fucking crazy. Like, we, we woke up in the morning after the final and you know, there's like 300 people stood outside the hotel and, and then we land back and mate, none of us expected it. We were on a plane for 30 hours, you know, with stop-offs and whatever. We just didn't expect it because we didn't have the media coverage in Oz and we walked through the doors and the security guard's like, oh, mate, you've got to go through in twos. And Jono's like, no, no. Mate, you don't understand. Obviously, Jono, so yeah. grumpy bastard, yeah. bastard yeah, yeah, times, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? No, no, mate. We're we're just we're leaving now. We've been on the plane for thirty hours. Yeah. We want to go home. It's five in the morning. <laughs> and and he said, no, no, I'm really sorry, Mr. Johnson. I just have a look. So John like sticks his heads out. And there's like thirty thousand people yeah. waiting for us at the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't expect that. Yeah. We didn't expect that. And um, it was it was a total, you know, life changing moment. You know, we we spend another year going on, you know, TV shows and. Yeah. And doing all sorts, you know. I was, you know, I was just on the bench and got the pleasure of coming on for like the last ten Played minutes. Part. But some of the guys, you know, absolutely relished it. You know, they were really comfortable in that. You know, like Lawrence and Dorse and you know other guys that were comfortable being surrounded by the media. There were others that that weren't at all. Like mm. Jono, I wouldn't say Jono is is he's not naturally yeah. comfortable being around people <laughs> potentially <laughs> you know but certainly certainly the people and you know he just loved playing rugby he loved being good at what he did and he was bloody amazing at it um and you know johnny you know the the, the microscope that he came under and all of a sudden i remember him describing you know getting the anxiety about walking onto platforms train station platforms because if someone spotted him there was sort of nowhere to go type thing and he would be mobbed and so for so for some of the guys, the aftermath and the sort of the the celebrity and everything that came with it. Did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I, I did to a degree. Mm. Yeah, for that first year, it was you know you're on Chris Tarrant, you're seeing famous people and you Wimbledon know, tennis. Yeah, MBE yeah. from the Queen. Yeah, yeah. The bus going through Trafalgar Square. <laughs> that was fucking funny. Mate, I was that. watching you on this bus. I thought, my God, where's yeah. this all come from? It's wild. Well, we thought that. I was thinking that yeah. on the bus. I was like, why, why, why are us morons up yeah. there? You know, we're just playing rugby, running around, smashing yeah. each other. Why is there hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets yeah. of London for us? We're like school kids, like taking pictures of each <laughs> yeah, other. And, like we're on this bus and we've probably been on the bus for like an hour and a half. And Jace has waded through several cans of beer and, and champagne and anyway we got to Trafalgar Square like Jason where, Leonard Jason Leonard yeah where all the fountains are and you got all the world's media and and genuinely it's at that point that Jace well we probably all realized there wasn't a toilet on board but <laughs> but Jace in particular and and he tried to he tried to piss into the champagne bottle so literally you've got the world's cameras coming in right you've got the Lord Mayor you've got John Inverdale you've got you know everyone wants to get on and interview John Owen Johnny and and whilst they're being interviewed, Jace is like located a champagne bottle that he's trying to piss into. Just, this is the chairman of the British and Irish Lions, isn't it? Now, and the former president of the RFU. Yeah. But, you know, needs must. And uh, and it, it ended up splashing all down the back of my tra trousers, my suit trousers. I'm like waving at the crowd. Is it? What? Jace, Jace, what are you doing? Jace. Oh, sorry, Moodle. Sorry, Moodle. Sorry, mate. I was like, it's all right, mate. I love you. Love you. Like, Jay, mate, Jace, the He's nicest lovely, bloke you'll ever meet. Right? Mm -hmm. I just such a lovely human being. And another schoolboy era, right? 91 World Cup. I sat in the house at, at school watching him play. And, and he loves a drink. And he does have a drink. Mm -hmm. But yeah. But anyway, so it was a bit of a problem when he had to go to meet the Queen later, like you said. And, and the corgis came dashing in. But <laughs> sniffing was, around, sniffing yeah, around yeah, your ankle. Sorry, Your Majesty. <laughs> Get off, uh, Jason Weed on me. But, but it, yeah, it was. Uh, was a bonkers time. Tell me about in 2005, um, you were the first ever man to get sent off for England with a straight red card against Samoa. But of course, the punching in the follow up and Lewis Clearly, it was a dangerous tackle. Is the man. You've chosen to take the law into your own hands. So You've thrown five or six punches. He's been sent off, but there's no excuse for retaliation. Lewis Moody is sent off as well for the retaliation. And the irony, of course, is that Alessana Tuilangi and Lewis Moody are teammates at Leicester. Um, mate, so it was my, my good friend Alessana Tuilangi from, uh, from my club side in Leicester, so Tigers. 
um, we were playing, well, we were at Twickenham playing Samoa on the day. And this game transpired. Johnny, or no, no, it was Charlie Hodgson actually put a crossfield kick into Mark Cueto during the course of the game. And Samoa had been, you know, their usual physical combative selves, but they were late shots, you know, early hits, high tackles. It was, it was, you know, we were getting quite frustrated with it. And uh, we're in the second half. The crossfield kick goes in, and Mark Cueto, who was a fantastic winger for England for for a long time, he went. He went up in the air like airborne to catch this ball and Alex steamed across the pitch and took him out essentially in the air. I don't think that was his intention, but I think he was just going flat out. There's nothing he could do. And he ended up colliding with him instead of pulling out and like Quaid's going to land on his head, broken his neck, quite frankly. He did land on his head, but he was fine. So I, I was the nearest person. And in my, like, I knew Alex, obviously I knew Alex well because I played with him for a long time at Leicester. I knew Quaid's well because I played with him for a long time for England. And in my head, I'm going, right, Quaid's is like a 13 stone, you know, classic English winger, you know, five foot 10, something like that. Mancunian, yeah. all the cockiness. <laughs> and, and Alex is just an absolute monster, you know, a, a beast. He's like 19 stone of sheer Samoan muscle and power. Six foot five. Yeah, exactly. And he's run the 100 meters in like 10 seconds. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, if, if this, if Quaid's actually starts on Alex, it's only going to go one way. So I was, all I was thinking was getting in between them and like stopping them fighting. And as I went over and you don't see it, like when my kids meet any of their mates at school and, and, and they hear about me, they'll go, like, they'll go home and sometimes Google my name and yeah. see what comes up. And often they'll come back in. I'll have parents come in and go, Lewis, the kids can't quite understand who the person is in the video that we're seeing because all that ever comes up is this fight I have yeah. with Alex to Alangi, not the like tries you I scored or the massive tackles you made. Yeah. There's one fight like in 16 years. Anyway, yeah. so as as we get in on the video, you can't quite see on the day as it happened live that as I went in to split them up, Alex then chinned Quates at exactly that moment that I came in and you don't see it on, on the video at the time. And I just had one of those red miss moments. And I'd been out, when we talked about injuries, I'd been out for a long time at that point. And up and down. And I just got frustrated. And what happened was my frustration with injury would manifest itself into violence on the pitch. And that was what I learned afterwards. And I threw like <laughs> I threw like uh, 30 punches or something like that. Uh, I was shit at punching. Just as that quad. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the game being reviewed on, do you remember, was it Football AM or Soccer AM? Yeah, Soccer AM, yeah. And, and like they had Barry McGuigan on the next day reviewing the fight. Like, <laughs> so like, like checking my technique and uh yeah my I so I had of all the awesome stuff that I got to do in my career you know the trophies we won and the teams we played in the tries and the games and you know and all the players that you played with like Johnny and Jason Martin Johnson and you know all the other great internationals like Brian O'Driscoll from the other countries and Richie McCaw but in England there was only at that point one Englishman that had ever been sent off at Twickenham in a what was it 110 year history at that point that was me I was like how is that possible like all the dirty <laughs> dirty dirty players they're like Brian Moore and Dooley and Ackford and you know Skinner and all these hard boys that played over the years and no one got sent off at Twickenham bar me and uh yeah mate, it was it was a low point I have to admit what was the feeling like singing the national anthem in front of 82,000 people for your country captain your country at Twickenham the the national anthem for me was always sort of neither here nor there not that i'm not you know um patriotic but i just i always got more buzzed by the other national anthems like the flower of scotland i always used to hum that along i like the flower of scotland <laughs> like under my breath <laughs> but for me like the captaincy mate when i first got to captain england was france away steve borthwick got injured and and the most emotional i was before a game was that game being in a huddle and you know, because all the doubts I had over whether I'd be good enough to be captain, would the lads respect me? Would I make the right decisions? All those sorts of things anyway. Um, and the fact that my dad had worked his whole life, you know, come from really humble beginnings and, you know, worked his way up from the age of 16, you know, afforded me the life, you know, uh, opportunities of private school, you know, none of which he had. And, uh, and I suppose it was, you know, being asked to be captain was almost like a, a moment where you can go back to your dad and say, well, your mum as well, obviously mum and dad, and say, uh, oh, this is amazing, thank you. Okay, yes, the academic side of public school yeah. maybe didn't quite pay off as you would have hoped, but, but this did. Um, but before the game, just calling the lads into a huddle and start, I suddenly started, you know, talking and you have that. And like, that whole, 
just my voice sort of broke down. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to actually start crying in front of the lads here. Mm. And thankfully I had people like, you know, Josh Lucy and Steve Thompson at the time and, and various others who, who tins, who, who took over and carried on until I could compose myself. But it was a sudden sort of realization of actually how important this moment was. And, and it was really special in my life. And, mm. you know, the national anthem is nearly here and all there. And, and, and you see people getting emotional about that. And that's obviously when the emotion yeah. catches up with them for them. But for yeah. me, it was about being with the team, being in the changing room. They were, those were always the most emotional mm. and impactful moments. First time I played at Twickenham, it's like a, it's like a complete cacophony of noise and, and sound, but there's no like discernible sound. It's like at the Millennium Stadium, the roof. When you're in the stands, you can hear the songs, yeah. but actually when you're in the pitch, all the, the noise just comes into the middle. So it's just, it's like just white noise. Yeah. So mate, you're so focused, like you're focused, you're there to do a job. You could be playing at Twickenham, you could be playing, I could be on the, the, the farm field at Bradford Haven Rugby Club with yeah. one man and his dog. Once you go on the pitch, right, you're focused on doing a job. Amazing. And, and the rest sort of, the times that you do remember it, like the times I remember is when the whistle's gone and let's say you've, you've won or someone comes over and congratulates yeah. you or, you know, someone wants to, wants to share the moment with you. That's pretty cool. I remember after my last game in 2010 for Leicester, we won. Uh, Danny Hipkiss scored a try in the, in, in the dying second I remember. for us to for us to win that was my last game at Welford Road uh, last game at, at Leicester Tigers which was incredible to finish having won another premiership title but being able to take the trophy around and actually take it into the stands and like let people yeah. hold it which you're not supposed to but it's an amazing like it's the only time in your life you get the chance to share it yeah. that that I really enjoyed yeah tell me about did you ever play against Jonah Lomo yes yes um, I played against Jonah in 2002 when he was just sort of at, you know, he was, he was just at, he wasn't quite at his pomp, but he was still an unbelievable machine. And uh, <clears throat> I attempted to tackle him. It was me and Phil Vickery and Vix. Vix was outside me. He's like 20 stone prop, an absolute monster. And uh, I was like, look, thank Vix is there. He'll get, <laughs> he'll get the first dabs at it. He'll probably take him down. Literally, Jonah just steamrolled him like he was a speed bump. So, I remember, I, th I think I literally just jumped on his back and like tried to slow him down. He was so, you know, now the game's proliferated with all these huge men, like, you know, and, and in every position, whereas back then Jonah was the enigma, you know, he was the, he was the, the, the chosen one in, in football terms, or the special one, right? He was like, he was incredible. And he took rugby in a, in a whole new direction. He took it to a global game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, it's such a, you know, such a loss to the game at such a young age as well. Yeah. Who's the hardest man you've ever played rugby with in an England shirt? Uh, Julian White. So oh, wow. For those people that don't remember, Julian White, without a shadow of a doubt, just the nicest bloke off the field, funniest man you'll ever meet, dry sense of humour, hardest punching, most scary man I've ever met when he gets in a bad mood. Yeah, I mean, he... he you know, his punches are, uh, I think, well recorded on, on YouTube in terms of the number of times he's... He's dealt with his opposite number when you could, obviously. The game's changed now, right? But honestly, it's scary. Like, I, I threw 30 punches and I got sent off at Twickenham. I don't think I connected well with any of them. Yeah. He would throw one punch and the bloke would be asleep on the floor next to us. Didn't he bang bonkers. out Sheridan once? Yeah. And they're good mates. They're like, good mates, yeah, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're good mates. So Sherry, they were obviously competing against each other in the scrum. I think Sherry tried to tried to throw a punch at him, which is always a, you know, a dangerous game to play with Whitey, and he just dropped him with one yeah. shot. Were you ever heartbroken in rugby? I, th I think heartbreak sounds like a, an overly dramatic word, but I was, you know, for me, rugby was the Tigers from a young age, you know, watching, sitting in the stands at, at Welford Road. And I never envisaged playing anywhere else, you know. Mate, so all I ever wanted to do was, was be a part of that side at Leicester, but there are times when also all I ever wanted to do was play, was play rugby. And, and so in 2001, when they signed Josh Cromfeld and they had Neil Back already and the multiple other back rowers, I was... Worried I wasn't going to get picked. Opportunities at Quinns and Sale came about. I chose to stay because I thought, look, I, I can learn from these two legends. Um, you got offered big money as well at Sale, did, didn't yeah, you? I got offered a lot of money. Yeah. Um, for what was I been at the time, 21, something yeah. like that, 22. But anyway, you know, come to the end of your career, I did do everything with Leicester. You know, obviously had a lot of injuries, so I missed a lot of games along the way. Um, some of them meant, I missed club games, but then was fit for England. So you can see how that would mm. look to a club. Mm. Um, but in, in what probably would have been my final contract, you know, the club were asking if I was going to play in the last World Cup, which was 2011. Um, and I felt I probably felt a little bit, I probably handled it very badly at the time, actually. If I'd have been more honest and just said, look, I probably was going to retire after that World Cup. I, would have, I was going to retire from internationals and just 
see out my last three years but i probably felt like because they were asking me i was like fuck yeah, you fuck yeah, you. i'm gonna make yeah, that decision yeah. so you know it probably could have been handled better but i the writing was on the wall when i saw jordan murphy lewis deakin former senior well mates of mine that were senior players mm -hmm. at the time being signed and mine was being dragged out even though i was england captain at the time um probably playing some of my best rugby as well and they looked at it and probably went you know he's going to be away for a world cup he'll probably get injured he'll get a handful of games for club so is it worth the money that that he's asking for the phone call i got from richard cockrell on the way back from an england session just saying mate are you around in the morning can we have a chat i was like uh, okay <laughs> something's not right here um and and walked in and to be fair to cockers like he was always very straight talking and, and i i i always admired that you know didn't always see eye to eye as again as an individual you know didn't always necessarily get on with him at all mm -hmm. but respected him for for the coach he was and the player that he was and, and actually he was very straight to walked into the meeting i knew something was up it was either you know well we're going to offer you you know half a salary or as it turned out there's no there's nothing here for you mate so i was 31 30 31 mm -hmm. and and that was generally emotional moment in my in my life never wanted to leave leicester yeah it was not my intention so um, that's, you've been there 14 years uh 14 years yeah 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 is there anything that you would change in that negotiation when you look back now? Were you in charge of the negotiation or did you leave it to your agent? Is there anything you would change to make sure that you could have stayed there for a couple more years and finished your career there? Um, I, th I think probably be, I th you talk about greed again. You know, I think when you come to contract negotiations as a player, you always feel like you want more, should have more. At Leicester, I think I always felt like because I'd come through the system, I earned slightly less than I was maybe worth. But actually, to look back and if I really wanted to stay at Leicester, go, do you know what? You're offering me that. That's probably absolutely fair. What, let's go with it. Mm. Rather than constantly seeking more, more, more. I think that the element of greed or pride or, mm. or something, you know, being England captain as well, maybe you think, oh, I should, I yeah. should clearly be earning more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, why should I be? Okay, just because I'm England captain doesn't yeah. actually mean I'm a better player. <laughs> mm. You know, and actually there's tons of good players out there that are going to spend more time on the pitch. So yes, there's definitely things I would have done differently in that last negotiation. I'd be more honest in, in the sense that I'd say, right, this, these are my future plans. So I'm going to go to this World Cup. I'm then going to retire from England. Yeah. Um, and that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted, okay. yeah. But because they'd said, you know, we'd like you to consider have yeah. you considered the competitive retiring? nature was yeah like, I was like, fuck you, you. Yeah, yeah yeah i'm in control yeah. of my life yeah. not you i'm the player yeah and and that was really pride and stupidity getting in and, and naivety and, and youthful exuberance or whatever getting in the way of you know clear thinking mm. um and maybe you know the agent at the time sort of saying you know actually you know you deserve more you're worth more blah 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 um but uh, yeah so so when that bombshell dropped i was like and, and i didn't actually have any options at the time i didn't have any other clubs to go to you know, sevens weren't particularly in demand, not like tight heads and fly yeah. halves, you yeah, know, yeah. they were growing on trees. Yeah. So I was lucky in many ways, you know, to to end up at, at Bath. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you, uh, remember, do you remember that time when you were injured? Um, I remember getting a phone call from you and you're like, I think you, you broke a leg or broke an ankle mm. or broke it to your knee, I can't remember. And you're like, Dodge, I'm in a bad way. I need to get away. I need to get away from rugby. I need to go on holiday. Can we go on a four day somewhere? And I was obviously throwing the parties in the nightclubs yeah. and in, in, in different parts of the country. And I was like, yeah, mate, let's go. Where should we go? And uh, I think we did a four-day over in, just the two of us did a four-day over in Marbella. I it? remember suggesting that to you and you were like, yeah, 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 let's, we're going to keep it clean. I don't want to booze, no drinking. We're just <laughs> going to have food. I was like, that sounds perfect. Rehab. Because that, that was after the World Cup. So that was, I, that was, I fractured my navicular and I was out for was a that, year. Was it back then, was it? Yeah, yeah. So it was my second. So I tried to get back. So after the first round of, rehab yeah. which didn't work so i was in a bad place had to go back into a plaster cast or a boot and uh and i was like right who 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 doesn't work very hard and has got loads of time <laughs> in his hand <laughs> <clears throat> so i said oh mate we called we called up didn't we and we had every intention of, yeah. of having a really cool chilled out yeah couple we're of train days. yeah we'll eat well, well we, we did running. train we i remember train. <laughs> i remember training this was back in the days when you didn't do a huge amount of training <laughs> And uh, and the first weight session, we're doing shoulder press. Oh my and, god! Yeah, and you <laughs> just about neck. yeah, just about put your neck out. That's right. Snapped it. <laughs> then we had to do rehab. But yeah, man, that was a great trip, wasn't it? It was a great trip. Yeah. I remember uh, we found that drink called Tinta Verano, where it's yeah. like red wine mixed with lemonade. lemonade. That's it. Literally, yeah. that's it. Because we did four days there. Yeah. And I remember, I remember you were diving. You were diving off. You were told. Oh, to, yeah. You were diving off diving boards, and you had your half your leg in plaster. 
and no, we, I put had a, we put a black bin liner bag around. Yeah, so no, I had, I had a rubber, I had a rubber boot that you put over it so I could do put rehab in the pool. That's right. But you had a special suction seal on it, which I forgot to seal off. And That's when right. I went swimming, I'd realised it had just soaked That's the right. plastic. So off. we had a black bin liner bag around it, yeah, yeah. so we could. And it stunk, it stunk. but it stunk. It was oh, a good trip. trip. You need those, mate. But so you, you talked about like, wife and Annie, like yeah. being supportive. I think in any walk of life, like you need supportive yeah. people around you, right? and that was awesome for me at the time. So yeah. it's exactly you said about. You know, in some ways, you know, this time lockdown being a being a reset mm. for you. You know, yeah. that was the same for me. Even if it was four days, it was just yeah. like a reset. Get your mind back in gear. Okay, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, absolutely. Slap in the face. Yeah, have a few laughs. And that's what's needed. Yeah, that's what, and it's for you to get away from rugby as well, because your whole life has been rugby, 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 eating the, you know, regimented, the whole time, and uh, there was you didn't have like a moment yourself for for many years, really. No, mate. And, and that's what makes it hard when you when you step out of it, right? Because I was, as I said, all I ever wanted to do was play rugby, whether it was professional mm. or not. And and so therefore your life's all consumed by it, you know. So where you need to be, what you need to wear, when you've got to be there, you know, how you how you uh, how you act when you're there, what you say when you're there. Well, you know, lots of things are, are dictated by others mm. for you. So actually, you have to do very little thinking. Yeah. And I know, you know. With with mates of mine, we set up various different ventures whilst I was playing that you know that had varying degrees of success and yeah. failure, mostly failure, mm. um, which I suppose helped me in some ways prepare for what was coming after. But but when it did come, I, I wasn't a I wasn't don't think ready, mm. you know maybe mentally. So one of the things we haven't spoken about was the 2011 World Cup and like the disappointment that 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 created and the media attention talking about the negative. Yeah media attention that that created for me individually and i'd say that was probably one of the hardest times in my life because the other times we've spoken about injury i'm actually in control of that yeah. right okay i'm not in control of being injured and you're used to it mm. for different times over yeah. the career yeah and it's become the norm for me so i just okay it's just another hurdle to overcome it's not a barrier and you know so so dealing with something that i couldn't control which is criticism from from the media yeah. for for the team's performance i saw in, that got you down didn't it mate brutal yeah. i remember i remember being in tears you know i don't mind admitting that i yeah. was you know and and, and uh, you know for, for jono as well you know it was a brutally hard time you all you ever do as a as a player and as a captain is is right try and get things as best as you can yeah. you know with the best of your ability yeah. that's all you're ever trying to do and for whatever reason on that on that tour you know things went wildly astray and i think and looking back now there's probably a couple of decisions we we could have made you know that would have you know, set us off on the right foot because I think we actually had quite a, we had a really successful build up to that World Cup. So you Cup. were captain for England in New Zealand in 2011 mm. underneath Martin Johnson. Mm -hmm. You went to the World Cup. How was that for you? Was it, did you feel like you were a, a full on captain with the players around you because there was a lot of senior players or was mm. it very new to you? Oh, it was very new to me. So I was, I'd, I'd had it for a year roughly. Yeah. If, if there, you know, if I can recommend anything to people in the past, if you're ever nervous about being in the future, if you're ever nervous about putting yourself forward into a leadership position, don't be, because actually the sooner you do it, the more you learn. Yeah. I think I was always quite nervous about it, as I said, shy. Um, but you, you naturally grow in sort of experience, responsibility as you get older. And, you know, I was, I was sort of, I suppose, a natural leader on the pitch and so the way I played yeah. and, um, and the, the, the experience that I'd had. So... You know, Jono asked me to be captain in 2010. We had a successful run against Australia in, in that summer, being only the third England team to win away in Australia. We then won the, the Six Nations. Myself and Tin sort of shared the captaincy through injury. And Nick Easter as well, actually, because Tin's got injured. Um, we won the, the Six Nations going into that World mm -hmm. Cup. So actually, we were setting ourselves up quite nice. You yeah. had young guys like Ben, you know, uh, Ben Youngs, Courtney Laws, Dylan Hartley, Dan Cole. Uh, ben Foden, all sort of Great coming, crop. yeah, all yeah. coming onto the Great scene crop. that Jono had brought in, and and his coaching staff had brought in, and and there will be more that, excuse me, I you know, not mentioned, but it, it was it was a good time. But I think what happened was actually that those successes sort of papered over some of the cracks that we had, and you know, some of the the behaviours maybe off the field that <laughs> that were. <laughs> It's funny to look back on, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it isn't. It isn't for me. I, I still, you know, I probably still struggle with it because I'm like, you know, we we should have, we shouldn't have let that happen. But but ultimately, you know, it's, you know, it's it's that long ago now. You you try 
and is it are we talking about Tyndall stag do with dwarf throwing down no 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 well yes that, that obviously was a significant <laughs> distraction but no no you know with so there are incidents off the field and again i you know i don't name names it's not that's not my place it's not to criticize you know what's happened in the past but there are incidents you know that happened that we we you know myself jono and the, and the, the leadership team should go no, that's not acceptable you you can't stay and set a really early example. You know how Eddie Jones did with, and now I've forgotten the lad's name, you know, it's, it's, that says it all. Um, ben Teo, you know, mm -hmm. going going to a World Cup. Yeah. Amazing player. Does something out of line. Yeah. See you later. You, you're gone. Yeah. I think it was the second time he'd done mm -hmm. it. I think maybe if we'd, if we'd, if, if we'd deployed that approach with some of those players prior to that mm. World Cup, we, we may have had a better outcome. Hopefully we would have avoided the sort of incidents that occurred. But, you know, the thing with Tend, it was just, you know, it was a nightmare. And, you know, Tin's a lovely guy and he never, you know, meant for any of that to happen at all. And it's just, you know, when you're, when you're married to the, the member of the royal family, the, the media's going to follow you around. And, and as, as in 2003, you know, we'd been together three months. We targeted a, an evening where we could go out and have a few mm -hmm. drinks together and, and, uh, and, and blow some steam off um, because it'd been all focused on, on the games up until that point. And... Uh, and you know that that night and and that moment just just changed things for for the rest of that the rest of that tournament. But it wasn't that singular moment at all. You know there were many other things in the background that mm. that should have happened. But mate, it was a real low. Yeah, coming back from that, you know, there's a huge amount of media criticism. There was yeah. you know someone there was trying there was someone trying to um, you know sell a story on me that was completely fabricated. You know, talking absolute shit and making it up. And, what was that? Um, so it was in it was when we were in Benus and. We 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 so with our Again. families, yeah, we with our families <laughs> gone out. That's the, oh god, yeah, oh, yeah, god. and 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 some scumbag tried to you know tried to create a story that was that was totally fictional, but it was you know it was it was essentially something happened. Someone tried to start on me essentially, yeah, to to get a reaction, to get a reaction out of me, which I didn't because you know I was I was an England player at the time, and and a member of the group that I was with. You know, reacted and and he then targeted me because of someone else's reaction. I'm like, it's nothing to do with me, mate. And the lies that they come up with to try and perpetuate that story, you know, it, so set just, up. Yeah, yeah, it was a total scam set up that he just oh, fabricated to to try and take me down. But ended up, you know, no, nothing came of it. But the stress that that causes you as an individual. How long did that stress last for? Was it probably, weeks, probably no a year? And actually, oh. after so in the build-up to the World Cup, that that was all happening because it was part of the summer prior to that. So this World happened Cup. before the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. mate. Yeah, so mate, it was it was stressful. And again, you know, you it's just it's, it's a learning curve. You try and do everything right, and ultimately there's still people out there going to try and take you down, and you can't control what happens. And and I, you know, you you get worried about how you're perceived, right? You know, you want people to say that you're a decent bloke and say nothing when someone comes trying to create a, a lie and start spreading bullshit in the, in the in stories in the press so what you you've got no control because once it's out there it's you like can't, smoke, yeah. it's, you know there's no fire how did that end whatever. no smoke without fire how it? did that end uh it was well it was fine he he tried to blackmail us for money so which was fine we knew we were You're winning then right but no no we we knew we knew we were winning then so we knew he had no he's got no story um he's like oh that ten thousand pounds you 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 said you'd uh, you'd donate to to my charity, which which was all a lie. <laughs> we, we knew instantly that he, you know, he's he's lying. He's a con oh. artist, and um, and and that was the end of it. Until we got on the on the bus on the way back from that quarterfinal in two thousand eleven, and I then get a phone call from Sporzy. So we've just lost the quarterfinal in the mm. World Cup. Obviously, we've dealt with all the other stress, mm. and uh, get a phone call from Sporzy saying, "Oh, look, this guy's just reared his head again." and He's managed to sell the story to the Daily Sport online or something. So he tried to sell it to all the other papers. Thankfully, they all realized that it was completely fabricated. Oh. And uh, so this one online, I, d I don't know who it was, actually. I say it was Sport. It could have been anyone. I just can't remember. Yeah. But it, was, it went out. And I was devastated at the time. I was like, this is lies. Like, people are going to think this is actually yeah. what I did. Yeah. And uh Anyway, it, it it came to nothing. They had to take it down instantly. But you know, it's just added stress. Of, stress. So, and that you know, when I when I got asked to be captain, one of the things I genuinely considered was, do I want the responsibility yeah. of do I want to put my family in the spotlight yeah. of the media microscope, because that's what would happen. And I genuinely considered for for a brief moment not doing it because I didn't want them to be in that spotlight. Wow. But 
But ultimately, you know, the chance to lead my country was one of the greatest honors in my life. And and yes, there were there were highs and lows during it. And ultimately it, you know, it ended disappointingly for me. And, you know, I'd love to have been young enough when I had it to have had the opportunity to put into practice the lessons you learn, right? Because mm. life's about learning lessons. You know, you make mistakes along the way. And as a captain, I made plenty. Uh, as an individual, I make plenty mm. continually still yeah. to this yeah, day. Yeah. And, you, yeah, and yeah. you learn from them. And and I suppose the frustration I had was that I couldn't then learn from I could come back to Bath, which was where I was then playing my yeah. rugby, and then yeah. just focus on the next three years. And the the I suppose then the irony, you know, the relief was, okay, yes, I've still got rugby. Look, I just... That's done. It's part of my life. I had a wonderful England career. The, the end wasn't as I would have planned it, but it was a tough time in particular. You know, had it been a different time, maybe it would have felt differently. But, but absolutely, I did not want that microscope anymore. You know, just I'm a I'm a I'm a normal bloke, down to earth. I just love playing rugby. I loved if I wanted to be known for anything, which I wasn't particularly bothered about. I wanted to be known for being good at rugby, for being good at something I really enjoyed. And you know, if someone came up to me and said, "Can I have an autograph? Can I have a picture?" I genuinely felt proud and honoured because it felt it meant they thought I was good at what I did, yeah. which was being a sportsman, yeah. being a rugby player. So it was, it was. I would say it was a relief to to step away from from England at that point. And I just generally wanted to focus because Bath had, you know, Bruce Craig and and Bath and the guys there had been, you know, very supportive, very generous towards me. Um, and I wanted to repay that generosity and try and help get them back on the path that they wanted to go. You know, one of the greatest sides in the 80s, they'd slipped away during the 90s and early 2000s. And then literally the first game back playing off the World Cup, I tried to tap tackle um, Clarsons, who was uh, playing fullback for Worcester at the time, missed it completely, landed on a, on an outstretched shoulder, it was that one. And, and I knew instantly that was it. I knew at that moment, this is going to be the last time I play rugby. Because I'd had I'd had four reconstructions at that point, and I, I could barely like lift my arm on the pitch. And I remember uh, one of the commentators giving me giving me grief as well, you know, because obviously it was post World Cup, yeah. you know. And and in my head, I'm just thinking, I've got to stay on, I've got to stay on, and at least finish as as I would have hoped. But I didn't. I played like an absolute spanner because yeah. I had one arm. <laughs> <laughs> but you, did you carry on playing though? Yeah, that? of course I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, until at such point that you know. I was clearly useless and and the coaches dragged me off, thankfully. So, um, you know, so there were two moments in my playing career that I really, so when retirement happened, I really, I really struggled with because, you know, I didn't have a fairy tale ending that, you know, I wanted. I, I ended, you know, with England, I ended disappointingly, although we made it to World Cup, you know, it was my third World Cup, great. Okay. Qu- Quarterfinal, great, yeah. we should have won it. Yeah. You know, other... You know, ultimately we didn't play well enough on, on the day and, and other, other events sort of, you know, undermined, you know, probably our performance. And, you know, I then received a lot of criticism personally around my captaincy and, and the events of, of the World Cup, you know, which is which is fine when you're when you're a leader. You, you have to take that responsibility on the chin, yeah, which I wish I hope um, people feel I did. And and then I'm like, right, OK, you can put all that behind me and retire. You know, yes, it's disappointing, but let's just focus on my playing career now for the remaining three years and then the next game. Your, your career's over and, and and it ends, you know, very unsatisfactorily, you know, attempting a tap tackle. It wasn't even like trying to smash someone. It was like a tap tackle of all things. So, mate, you can, uh, and I can look back now and I wouldn't have spoken about that time three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, probably. I wouldn't have, just wouldn't have spoken about it because it was really, really difficult time for me emotionally and for my wife probably more so because she had to deal with all the mood swings and all the frustration and all the, you know, not knowing what the fuck I was going to do next, you know, just saying yes to everything and going off in all different directions. The nice thing looking back is a decision that I took at the time retiring, which was to take the train up to Sheffield and meet a young lad who, whose dad sent me a letter. He had a, he had a rare form of cancer. And uh, and the decision I took to go up there and meet that lad and his team, his, his name was Joss Rowley Stark and his family, uh, Tiff and Graham and Leo. Leo. Uh, it, it started a process and... Sadly, we we lost Joss uh, a year and a half later. Joss passed away um, after I was able to, you know, spend some time with with him and and, and the family. Um, but when I look back on it now, what I realise is when so I received a letter from Graham, Joss's dad, asking for help for his lad. Like, can you support my lad to, you know, give him a distraction, help him raise some money for his mates to go on uh, to go on tour, to go on rugby tour to Sheffield. <clears throat> when Joss passed in uh, uh, a year and a half later actually that suddenly created a purpose because 
me and Annie then went, right, we're going to focus all of our attention on on creating a charity, A, in memory of Joss, because he was such an amazing kid, but to help people that in an area of a cancer area, brain tumours, that we felt needed, that we could have a, an impact on. And and now sort of, how has that been, five, six years down the line, I can look back and go, actually, do you know what, that changed my life. That gave his letter asking me for help, helped me more than I could ever have helped him because I now had a purpose. Like beyond that so yes I still agree to all sorts of other stuff when I retired but the singular decision to start the foundation meet Joss meet his family that impacting moment gave me a purpose beyond Absolutely. beyond, beyond plan I saw and the Lewis Moody Foundation that's right and you've raised over a million pounds to date well we would have raised over two million had the pandemic not hit we're at like 1.9 something I can't remember 1.92 I think now so wow so yeah we, and you don't, and you don't take anything from that at all. It's all hundred percent goes to charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, that is un, that is an amazing, yeah. amazing achievement. Oh, mate, I, I both of you. Yeah, I'm lucky. I feel lucky that we had that conversation with 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 Joss and Graham, mm. and that, that he sent that letter because it did. It gave me a purpose and it helped me focus then and and over time get the rest of my life into into order. Right, because I now have to I have to earn a living. Right, yeah, so you have to. How was that transition going from? Professional rugby player, being told to eat, drink, be there, etc., 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 be a celebrity, get paid. Did you did you really understand money back then when you were were, were a player? Of course not. No, of course no. not, because it came easy, didn't yeah. it? Like I had to, you know, like I said, when all my mates were at uni getting loans, I was on six grand a year, mm. feeling like a millionaire. Mm. I was like, yay! Mm. Um, and and so money came easily to me because I I got given it for just doing something that I was naturally good at anyway. I never had to really work at it. Yeah. I, I mean that in the best sense. Yeah. Of course, I had to train hard and. Yeah. And apply myself and injuries and all that sort of stuff, but but I would have done that anyway, yeah. right? Whether I got paid for it or not. So, so the value of money probably I never really appreciated. And we probably used to go on stupid shopping trips when I buy tons of shoes and shirts and yeah. pointless stuff, right? Yeah. Just because I didn't know what else do to you do. Remember with the it? time we went up to uh, Nike Town in London, mm. the big Nike store, and you they had this gigantic poster of you on the on the whole front of the building, <laughs> yeah. and they gave us a trolley. To go around and chuck everything we want in the trolley, yeah, and you can have it all for free. That was cool. Wasn't what it? a day that was! Yeah, that was I, I, that was cool for me, mate. As yeah. well. I love that. Well, a walking up and seeing your picture. I mean, it's weird, right? I just because I've never been into that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, like I said, I'm quite. And it shy. was enormous. Yeah, wasn't it? Was it I'm, Leicester Square or I can't remember? What the, it's where the Nike store is in yeah. Leicester Square. Yeah, a huge, huge yeah. building. Yeah, with your boat on there. Yeah, that didn't sell many boots. That didn't sell many boots. Lou, uh, you're a gentleman, mate. Absolute legend. And uh, I thank you for making the effort to come to the studio today. Pleasure. Good man. Take care.